Okay, David, you ready? I hope so. We've done this a few times. I know, but never this comfortable. <laughs> yeah, we don't, <laughs> we don't, okay. We're not going to sleep here. <laughs> well, we're usually on stools. Uh, okay, when my wife says, straighten up your back. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's hard to do here. All right, all right. We, we gotta get rolling here, David. <laughs> So uh, normally when we get going on this, and of course Steve got us going and got to set up the lawyer thing, I let you take your first shot here. You, do you want to get going on the lawyer stuff and just okay. get this out of the way? Okay. I, people ask me the, the secret to our success, and I said the secret is never having more, more than one lawyer per billion dollar sales. <laughs> and so, but I think we're at two per billion now, so I, I'm not sure we can survive. I think you're up to 12, aren't you? Well, yeah, yeah, something like that. But anyway, this is a lawyer, and he's a good friend. He helped me write my book. I couldn't have done that without him. And uh, his name is Bill High. That's a perfect name for a lawyer, Bill High. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is, you tell that joke and you get more laughs than I do when I tell it. I don't know why that is. But of course, you know, I let you get those out of the way because we don't have any retailer jokes. There are no jokes about retailers, but I guess you have the right name, David Green. <laughs> See, it's just not as funny. <laughs> okay, uh, let's get going. We don't, we don't have a ton of time here, but you know, when we start these conversations with audiences like this, uh, maybe you've learned from me, but you like to issue a little bit of a disclaimer. And so give some of that background. Well, yeah, with the lawyers, they don't write a sentence without a disclaimer, you know. And so I've learned from that. Every time I instruct someone at the warehouse, I say, generally speaking, and so everything starts with a generally speaking. <laughs> and so in, in telling my story, I, I like to say, and make sure everybody understands this is our story. This is our family story. This is not your story. I think God has unique stories for every single one of us. And as was said very well earlier today, that we shouldn't compare ourselves with one another. So I'm not to be compared with you, and you're not to be compared with me. And I'm, I'm willing to tell what God has done and, and tell our story. And I also like to say sometimes people say, well, the Bible says don't let one hand know what the other hand does. And uh, if you finish that, verse it also talks about praying to be seen and all of that in the Bible is to say look what I've done and we talk about what God has done and what God is doing and I think God wants you to know and us to know what God has done in each one's lives and so that's why I kind of talk freely to say here's what God has done I also like to say amounts doesn't impress God at all uh, we've never been able to give as much as the widow because we're the wealthy guy and the widow outgives us. So God's not impressed with that. He's impressed with our obedience. And so I just like to make sure that there's an understanding that we understand those things. Yeah, and you sometimes talk about that generosity certainly is more than money as well. That's, that's right. That uh, we talk sometimes because we're working with foundations. And, and, but uh, generosity, I think about my mother and dad that were pastors and uh, their gener generosity was totally with their talents and their giving to other people and their family, giving their time to the family to raise up godly children. So generosity is different for different people, and that is, that is true. Yep. 
Well, let's, let's jump into some of the stories, some of the growing up years and the family that you grew up into. It's always kind of important for people to understand where you came from because you just didn't start out and presto, there's Hobby Lobby. Tell us about your growing up family. Well, I grew up in a family of six children and my mother and dad were pastors of small churches. In fact, I don't think they ever pastored a church over 100. So if you're good at math, you can do the math on that. But on the other hand, God had always supplied our needs. And I wish my mom and dad had written a book about God supplying our needs in times when it was so critical. And so um, that was very important to us to see my mom and dad, by the way, how they would pay tithes. Uh, back in the 40s when I grew up, there was a lot of farmers and people that didn't necessarily have dollars and cents, but they would bring you a chicken, not very often, and they would, <laughs> and they would bring you uh, different things out of their gardens. And my, I would watch my mom and dad and you can call it legalism if you want, but they would write all this down. I call it a parents that love the Lord and they wanted to pay of their first, of their first fruit. And so I watched them pay tithes on anything that they considered to be uh, an increase. And that was an increase in their lives. And so that was really, really a big thing for six children to watch two parents because, you know, first we saw that they believed God's word when the Bible says, the windows of heaven, the blessings of heaven will flow when you pay your tithes. And so we saw that. And then we all saw in that that they believed God's word and they loved him and put him first in their lives. And so that was really a big deal, I think, for their six children. Yeah, they had dreams for all six of their kids. Well, they wanted all six of our, the children to be ministers. And uh, they got five out of six. <laughs> they, you know... They, they taught us so much, and one of the things they taught us uh, was this whole thing about temporal versus eternal. And I think they thought, and didn't know, I don't hold it against them, that you didn't have to be a pastor or a missionary or a pastor's wife, as my brothers and sisters did, to be in God's perfect will and God can have a calling on your life wherever you are. Yeah, it took a while to understand that for you because you felt like the black sheep for a while, didn't you? Yeah, for quite a long time, I said, why didn't God give me a calling? Because I understood calling as being a pastor or missionary, something like that. So, yeah, I went through a, uh, a period of time that, that I was a second-class Christian, and, and there was something wrong with me because God didn't call me into that particular area. Let's fast forward a little bit. Um, high school is really when you started to get a love for retail. So talk about how that began and the distributive education, the start of it. Yeah, so when I was a junior in, uh, in, in high school and senior, I needed four credits to graduate. And so I could take distributive education and that was worth two because I got credit for working and making money. So I thought I died and went to heaven because I was out of school by 11 o'clock at work. And so I loved to go to work. And so that's how I did my, that's how I did my, uh, junior and senior year. And I've often said, my probably my worst course in school was, um, was school. It was my worst credit. <laughs> yep, and so I, I'm not proud of that, by the way. It's just who I was. Yep. So high school, distributive education, you go work at the local five and dime, and you loved it. Yeah, I loved it. And, uh, and I still love it. I still go to work six days a week. I love it. And so uh, the, I found my love there, but I found another love there. And that's my wife, Barbara, who's with us today. And I've been married to her for 57 years. And you might be interested. 
You might be interested to know that she was Baptist and I was Pentecostal. So I've been trying to get her saved again and she refuses. <laughs> and I wish she would sometimes, but... And she's thrilled to death that I'm Pentecostal because I get saved every Sunday night and sometimes on Wednesday nights. Yeah. We still discuss that on the breakfast table after 57 years and haven't got it figured out yet. <laughs> well, I, I understand, too, that she still only gives you a half a napkin every day. Sometimes she came from that background. She actually tears a napkin, and I get a half a napkin for breakfast every day. Mm. Well... <laughs> do, you need, do, you, do we need to tell our five and dime, the million dollar baby and the five and dime? Well, yeah, because I, I, uh, yeah, I met my million dollar baby. I, I started working at uh, McCrory's, which is a five and dime store. And uh, so I tell people I met my million dollar baby in a five and ten cent store. There's a song like that. I mean, and uh, you have to be a little bit older than most of you guys out there. <laughs> But anyway, I tell people I really did. I didn't know what it meant until I married her, and I found out it cost me a million dollars in shoes alone. Okay, I'm not touching that one. Okay, David, uh, we, we've got to keep pressing on here. But that's why she saves on the napkins. <laughs> okay, TG&Y, we're going to switch subjects. You went to work for TG&Y after your McClellan's experience, and you were there for a number of years. Yeah, I was there for like about 13 years. Uh, I left McCrory's. They weren't opening stores back in the 60s. Uh, TG&Y was opening stores like crazy, and from my background, to be a store manager would be a really, really big deal. And they were opening up stores, so that I left uh, McCrory's and went to TG&Y. Uh, yeah. 1970? 1970, when I was managing a store, we, we just decided that we uh, uh, wanted to go in business. I say we decided this is all God's plan for our lives. We understand that. But we started making little miniature frames in our garage. Something happened overnight. Ladies would come in our craft department, and they would buy a little frame, and there'd be a canvas in there, and they would paint on these canvases like a barn, an old barn or windmill. And they would put five or six of these different sizes on the wall, but it came up overnight, so there was not anybody really manufacturing them. So we said, hey, why don't we do that? And so we borrowed $600, and in our garage, we started uh, um, manufacturing frames. 72 was the first store? 1972, we opened, we had about $4,000, and we took that 4000 to open up our first store, and it was like 300 square feet, which size of a small living room, was our first store, uh, and we called it Hobby Lobby. Don't ask. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait on that one. 1975, second store. Um, he was going to ask where we got the name, and I stole it. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I didn't steal it. I borrowed it. But You had to pay for it later, though. Yeah, I had to pay for it later. <laughs> Those yeah. lawyers kept you in line. Yeah, well, yeah. That was one time I wish they'd been ahead of us. But go ahead. What were we talking about? 1975 is really when you leave TGY. Yeah, I left TGY and uh, I left them. Uh, by the way, I was earning $26,000 and I came over to Hobby Lobby for 13. And I say, how do you do that? Well, it's a wife that will give you half of a napkin. You know, um, I have a wife that I think she's a 
Proverbs 31 woman. You know, she made the kids clothes. She was there for them all the time. And uh, I wasn't in debt. So you can't leave a $26,000 job and go to a 13 if uh, you don't have a mate that supports you in your finance. Give a little bit today, David, because we, we um, keep the story moving along. But where's Hobby Lobby at today? The number of sales, employees, all the stores. Yeah, I, we gave a little bit of old information there. That, but we have 35,000 employees now, and our sales this year should be $5 billion, And uh, we have 10 million square feet in Oklahoma City of warehouse manufacturing offices. And uh, we have no long-term debt. And so God is, uh, we give God the glory and a lot of great employees. Okay. Flip back, David, because... One of the things early in the journey, I think maybe 79 or so, you attended a missions conference and Hobby Lobby was still fairly young, but this is one of the places where God really began to challenge you on your giving journey. So share some of that story in the that $30,000 checks or the checks that you wrote out. Okay, but I gotta also say back in 1970, our boys were five and seven and we had them gluing frames and Barbara, my wife, worked for the first five years without pay. So we basically started on our, our company on the backs of slave labor and child labor. <laughs> Why did they laugh? It worked. <laughs> $30,000? Okay. $30,000, the missions uh, I just had to give credit to my kids and my wife for, for starting the business and helping out when I had a day job that I couldn't leave. We went to a, a huge convention where there was missionaries from all over the world. And uh, um, one of the offerings they took up during that time was it's so important in third, third world countries to have literature, gospel literature, things of this nature. It's very important. And I remember them taking that up. And I don't know what I gave, a dollar, five, I don't know. but. I, I know that on the plane back to to work, I just sense God speaking to me that we need to give $30,000. <laughs> we were a very, very small company, and we didn't have $30,000. So it's sort of like, how's God asking us to do something we can't do? And so we talked, Barbara and I talked, and uh, but we knew, I knew that God was, it wasn't me. I sure wouldn't have come up with that number by any means because there was no, we saw no way to do it. But we prayed about it. We decided what we were supposed to do is we're supposed to give, um, write checks, 7500 a month apart. So we wrote four checks a month apart, and we sent them in, post-dated. And we got a call and said, you know, the days those were post-dated, we had four missionaries that stayed over. We had special prayer because we really didn't have the money to give these guys the literature they needed. And so... That was a confirmation to me. I needed that day because God knew I needed it. I needed it to know that God had had a calling on my life, that he could also use a merchant. So from that day on, I know God is calling me. In fact, I tell Barbara from time to time, I go to work, I try to follow, I try, underline try, to follow the idea of pray without ceasing. And uh, I know that I go to work anointed, and I know all of us can go to work anointed at whatever God has for us to do. And I know that I go to work anointed when, I, when I'm asking God to help me and walk beside me in the business. 
And so I am called to be a retailer, and I have a calling on my life like my brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. So, David, let's go forward a little bit. Some of that journey of just learning to be generous continued on. There became a point in time where you had this conversation with God about um, being able to outgive God. Give him some of that story. Yeah, a lot of people ask about our journey, and this is our journey. This is our story. But Barbara and I, when we first got married, she came from a family that paid tithes, and we paid tithes. Obviously, my mother and dad, we learned that from them. So when we got married, we paid tithes, and then we started the business. And fairly soon after we started, not at the beginning, but we began paying tithes on our business. And then after a while, we would give more than our tithing. And... Uh, and so during the time we're tithing, God was blessing us. We're going to give more than, more than our tithes. Uh, God caught me saying, you can't outgive God. And it was sort of like he said, yeah, well, that's not real hard to say. Uh, and I really felt like God was challenging me to see what I could do to outgive God. And so this is kind of our, our path to where we are today. And so we talked to the family about it said, I think we're being challenged to try to figure out how we outgive God because we didn't know how to do it. And so we prayed about it, and my oldest son came up and said, Dad, here's what we ought to do. We ought to give this amount. Six months later, we ought to double it. 18 months, we ought to triple it. 24 months, we ought to go four times. Now, I'm not saying double it every six months, but I'm saying add that same amount every six months. And so we said, okay, we're going to do that. And that amount we were going to give was the largest amount we'd ever given. We're going to give the largest amount we've ever given six months, twice the largest, three times, three times the largest in 18 months. And um, we all looked at it and they said, you know, there's no way this is going to work. And we looked at five and six years and said, no way. We started that 20 years ago. And what we're doing now, by God allowing us to give half of our, what we give, we get, we're ahead of that schedule. So we have found out you cannot outgive God. Yeah. So today, David, I think you said that as a company and as a family, you try to give 50% of the profits every year? Yeah, for five or six years we have done that and uh, because we're allowed to write that off. And so the, the other 50, we want to make the business and we want more seeds to make that 50 become greater. So our, our goal is, is to give a greater amount every year, plant more seeds, and so that's what we do with the other 50 after we give, pay the tax. And so that's, that's what we're excited about God allowing us to do. Yeah, sometimes I know that when we're having this conversation around the table with some of the different audiences that we talk to, I sometimes ask you the question about give 50%. I mean, you're five billion in sales, you could probably go buy an island or a country or something. Why don't you do that? Well, in the first place, I don't know who would be, if we'd be where we're at. <laughs> That'd be the first thing. And the second uh, thing, there's nothing that I want that I don't have. Uh, so, God, uh, what, do you, what do you want? You know, we have cars, we have a home. Uh, you know, I have never seen great wealth do a lot for someone's character if they haven't given it away. I think you have a much better chance of it deterring character, wealth does. And so we have to be real careful with wealth, and the Bible tells us that. When it talks about the rich man and the camel going through the needle eye, so 
we don't want to be owners, and so we've decided not to be owners. Yeah, let's go ahead and move to that subject because over time, what happened is Hobby Lobby continued to grow, and accordingly, the value grew of Hobby Lobby. And eventually, that you'd done the estate planning, but it'd become a weight to you in terms of what you would do with the company. Walk us through that time period of your life, because you described that as one of the worst periods of your life. Yeah, when we started in business, we said something that was right. Every now and then, we get something right, and Barbara and I said, we don't own this. Children, you can come and work, and you can get what you earn, but the company belongs to God. But then we would have financial advisors come in and said, well, uh, you know, you better start moving it down. And so we gave a small amount to our three children. And, uh, and so we did this something like 25 years ago. But if you really think about it, what we were saying and what we were doing is two different things. You may say that God owns a business, but when you give a, of that tree a branch to this kid and a branch to that tree, and God owns the tree, then they have voice over that. Um, and if they have voice over that, then all of a sudden you don't have a tree that belongs to God. You have individuals that are owners instead of... Uh, so it became very, very heavy for me. And so we, we called in people that were Christians, and we said, what do we do with this great, great wealth? And it scared me to death of what could happen. I could be doing things and handing down wealth that would affect my great-grandchildren before they're even born. I have 11 great-grandchildren. I may have 30 if my kids do the right thing, my grandkids. I think you say, too, that if you've lost one grandchild. If I lost one grandchild, I would prefer that Hobby Lobby didn't exist. You know, we need to see ourselves. And one of the other right things Barbara and I did is when we got married, we said, we want a great marriage. This was our goal. We didn't say we want to serve God because that was given. We knew we were going to serve God, but we wanted a great marriage that lasted till death. We wanted children to serve God. And then thirdly, we wanted to be successful, whatever worked. And that was the least. And sometimes it's so easy to be more successful at the work than it is on the marriage in the home. But we wanted to make sure we focused. And we were very, very focused on the first two that we feel like were most important and that is to have a marriage that's strong and children that serve God. And so that was one of the things that we wanted to do, and that was one of our, our goals in life. Then we had this huge, huge amount of, of ownership, and it's what we do with this, and there was more instructions to take more of the branches off the tree and hand them around, and we, we couldn't sleep at night. Give them the conversation that you had with God in the backyard. I was in the backyard crying, and I said, I don't know what to do with this. And we were being advised to do other things. And God says, well, you say I own it. You have nothing to give away because I'm so strong on this word right here. And if you follow our family, it's promoting God's word and living by God's word the best we can. And he said, you don't own anything, and so you have no problem. And I said, I have no problem. We don't own it. We're going to become stewards. So we became stewards. We went back and asked our family, our children, and our grandchildren, if they would sign off, that they would never touch one dime of this company. They all signed off cheerfully and said, we don't really want to own it. And I have no children that want something they didn't earn. Now, and wait. it's good to have children that don't want something they didn't earn. Some people ask me, well, what do your children think? Well, it's what they think, and it's what I think, too. What I think is I don't want you to want something you don't earn. And so they have the opportunity 
the opportunity to come and work wherever they want. And we pray that our children goes wherever God wants them. And we have all sorts of situations in our family. We don't promote them doing anything other than God's will. And so God owns Hobby Lobby. We're only stewards. I can't take a dime of it. And in 2004 was the last time that I got a raise, 14 years ago. So I don't open 60 stores a year to increase my value. I increase God's value and what we can do for him. So, David, just for the sake of the audience here, you know, we look out at, at these folks here, and the, the scene, by the way, is when you make the decision to go ahead and lock up the stock, to give the company to God, you actually did have to backtrack a little bit because you had to get the kids and the grandchildren to sign off on it. Yes, because we had made the mistake of handing some of this, cutting some branches off the tree. Even though we said it belongs to God, that's not exactly what was legal. Those kids could have, if they wanted, say, I own this, I'm not going to work, all the different things that can happen. Has anybody followed any of these Gen 3s and Gen 4s? Yeah, there's some things that have come out right, but most of them don't come out right. And uh, I was, uh, uh, so we had them sign off. I, we didn't have them. We asked them if they would. They signed off. And so none of our family can have one ounce of or one penny I can from all of the companies that we own. It's all under the umbrella of Green Stewardship uh, Foundation uh, Trust. And in that trust, Barbara and I and my three children are on there, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3s will come on, Gen 4s. Now, if we didn't have Gen 3s and Gen 4s, it'd be better to have a non-family member there than a family member that wouldn't fit. And they have to fit. They fit if they really love Jesus. And here's all the things you have to answer to know you really love Jesus. And you, now you're capable of taking this, if the Lord tarries, into Gen 3s and Gen 4s and on. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, the family mission and vision and values that you began to incorporate into the Stewardship Trust. One of the things Bill has helped us with is to say you need a document that says this is who you are and this is who your family was. And so we put a document together. And this is the document that we put together that is our vision and our mission. Our mission, for instance, is to love God intimately and to live ex ex extravagant generosity. We have our vision and we have our, all of our values within this document. And once a month, we meet together because we think it's more important to have a legacy than it is to, to have a great business. That is so secondary to have a legacy for our family. So every month, the kids that are in Oklahoma City, which is most all of them, we meet. Some can't make it, but what can make it, we're there once a month celebrating birthdays. Then once a year we have this, everybody knows so that it's going to be on this particular day in January, and almost everybody can make that, and once a year we just celebrate family. This next year we'll have a new uh, grandson-in-law, and so uh, we just celebrate family. There'll be 36 of us at that time, so we just celebrate. We one and two put this together. We gave it to three and says, do you, will you sign on to this? Is there anything you want to do? And they've signed on to it. So it's, it's who we are as a family, and it's so important for, for that to happen. I was asked to talk to a couple billionaires, uh, and I had dinner with them. You were sitting there with me, and, and we saw these two billionaires, and, and, I, and it was really strange how they opened up. One of them said, uh, you know, I have two kids on drugs. And he said, and I'm having trouble in my marriage. 
And thank God for his grace. I need grace as much as anybody else. And he needed God's grace. And the other ones, they're, they're just as a, a new wife, they have their children and her children. Here again, thank God for his grace. But I saw two people here that I feel like put their, their careers and money above their family. And uh, that's something that, that is so important is our legacy is... And I think about my mother and my dad who were pastors of small churches. And I think about my mother's legacy because she died in the arms of a daughter. I paid for the funeral. And she says, can you see them? Can you see them? And no, angels. This woman was so important to God that he sent angels to retrieve her. Now, where would you rather be? In my mother's place in a billionaire's place that doesn't know the Lord. So I think we really need to refocus sometimes on what's really, really important, and that's our legacy. And that's what are we doing in our marriage, what are we doing in our family, and focus on those things that are more important. Yeah. David, we're going to wrap it up here and give it back to Steve so he can come up and take the next step here. But let's, let's close with this thought because you've talked about this idea of legacy. And I want to take you back. You said that you started your marriage with three goals. And now we know that you've added a couple goals. So would you talk to the audience about what those additional goals are now? Yeah, I'm afraid our first goal was me, myself, and I. You know, I want a great marriage and my kids serving God, be good at whatever God gives me to do at work. But then later in life, I had to decide, hey, I'm going to add something else there. I want my grandkids, my great-grandkids. I want my great-great-grandsons to serve the Lord. And I want to tell everybody on this planet that I possibly can about the goodness of Jesus who died for them and gave them eternal life. And so that was the new goal that I set for ourselves. You're thinking generations now. Exactly. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, give David a big hand.